This morning, we are continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And this morning, we actually arrive at a passage we have talked quite a bit about over the past what, year, year and a half or so. That is Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. We've looked at this passage from a number of different perspectives, and I think we've pulled out a lot of really cool elements and powerful truths out of this passage. But today, I want to look at this passage slightly differently. I want to highlight a figure in it that, honestly, surprisingly, gets relatively little play within the whole realm of the biblical text. This morning, we're going to talk about the devil. Now, doesn't that sound like just a great time, right? But before we get going too far, let's read our passage this morning. So we're going to start at the beginning of Matthew chapter 4. Now, if you remember, Jesus is coming right off the heels of his public baptism and public entry into the ministry. Last week, Chris talked about how this was really a high point for Jesus. This is you know, an emotional and spiritual peak for him. It's here in front of everyone that God declares love and pride for Jesus. Simply for being. Not for anything that Jesus had done, and arguably not for anything Jesus was going to do. Just for existing. Just for being the Son of God. God declares love and pride. So, riding that emotional and spiritual high, we enter into chapter 4, verse 1. Then, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, One shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Get away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and angels came to attend him. All right. I want you to notice something. Did you happen to catch how many times the devil is mentioned in this passage? I'll save you the trouble of going back and counting. It's six. The devil is mentioned six different times in this brief passage by name. But what I think is even more interesting is the different titles that are used. There are three different names or titles that are used to refer to the devil. So what I want to do this morning is to examine these different names and just kind of see what we can see about this. What does this tell us about our passage about the devil? So first, right off in verse 1, we read that Jesus is going to be tempted by the devil. The devil. So the Greek word that is used here is diabolos, 
it it comes from a verb which means to slander. So this iteration of the word makes it into a proper noun, which just most simply is translated the slanderer. So what does slander mean? Well, it's a false statement or a misrepresentation meant to damage someone, and more specifically, to damage someone's reputation. It's twisting facts. It's twisting facts to change our view of someone or of something. It's trickery. And basically, it's lying. Now, within the context of the story, this particular name becomes super appropriate and is even a linguistical hint about what's to come. So keep that in mind as we go through this passage, that our villain is introduced to us as the slanderer, the one who misrepresents facts. So as the story goes on, Jesus fasts for 40 days, 40 nights, and was hungry. Understandable. And it's here at this point that we read, the tempter came to him. I think it's safe to say that the high, the emotional and spiritual high that Jesus had experienced at his baptism is probably waning a little bit. I would even argue it's probably safe to say it's long gone. I think we can assume that Jesus is probably physically weak, 40 days, 40 nights, right? But I think we can also assume that he was emotionally and mentally weak as well. I think any person would be. Food or no food aside, at the end of a 40-day exile in the wilderness, you're probably not going to be at your strongest. You're not going to be hitting the ground running, hitting on all cylinders. And it's at this time that the devil decides to enter the picture. In the moment when the devil thinks Jesus is at his most vulnerable, that's when the devil strikes. Now notice what the text calls him here. The tempter. Now this is simply a Greek noun, which means to test, one who tests, right? So think about the two names we've been given for the devil so far. We have the slanderer and the tempter. So we have someone who misrepresents facts coming to test Jesus. Think we can guess what these tests are going to be comprised of? I think we can safely assume that there's going to be some twisting, some misrepresentation of facts coming. And that is exactly what does happen. The devil comes in and over the next few verses tempts Jesus three separate times by twisting or slightly misrepresenting some true element. I think maybe the most powerful and the most obvious of these comes in verse 6, where we read that the devil says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, the devil is actually quoting scripture here, and quoting it 100% verbatically correct. He's quoting Psalm 91, a wonderfully inspiring psalm. 
It's a psalm a ton of people go to when they need comfort. It's one you may have heard or been read to you or you read in some of your most desperate moments in your life. It, it's a psalm that opens, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, You are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I mean, this is actually a psalm we preached on this last summer. It is an amazing psalm. And yet, it's this psalm that the devil chooses to use to try to tempt Jesus. I think this really highlights just how bold and really how complex the devil's misleadings can be. Taking a psalm of comfort taking a praise psalm and trying to use it as a stumbling block for people. Trying to use it to trip up Jesus. That, so just keep that in here. That, that, that is a bold move. That, that's really coming after it right there. But eventually, Jesus has had enough. We get to verse 10, and Jesus emphatically states, Away from me, Satan. Now this is the first time in the passage that our villain, has been referred to as Satan. Now this word, Satan, is really an interesting word. It's not Greek, surprisingly. It's older. It comes from a Semitic word, which is Satan, which simply means the adversary or adversary. Now it's a word that is used a lot in ancient writings and Semitic writings because it just generally means person against you opponent. For example, like Christine and I, we went and played pickleball the other couple days ago. We're both terrible at it, but we enjoy it, so that's really all that matters. And so in that aspect, we were, we were opponents. We were against each other. It would be linguistically appropriate to use the word Satan of each other. We were, we were against each other, opponents. But our ancient writers do something special, do something to distinguish this word when they use it to refer to the devil. They add a definite article to it. They add a the, the adversary, the devil, or in Hebrew, hasatan. By doing this, they're distinguishing or separating the devil beyond all other adversaries. The devil isn't just another adversary. The devil is the adversary. The one that is coming after us the most. The one that we can't afford to lose to. And this is how Jesus dismisses the devil. Not by referencing or referring to him as the slanderer, the liar, the tempter, anything like that. Jesus simply acknowledges the devil as the adversary. The one trying to stop his mission before it can even get started. This is, I think, really kind of a power play by Jesus. In a way, this is Jesus diminishing the devil. Stripping the devil of those titles, of those characteristics, of those personality traits and reducing the devil simply down to a basic element. 
do with a basic relational dynamic. Jesus is saying that really the devil gave him a, his best shot, an amazing attempt at him, and it wasn't enough. Jesus came through it. I mean, this is really Jesus going full Luke Skywalker, enraging Kylo Ren with that little shoulder dust off. That's basically what Jesus is doing here. Just saying, all right, you leave now. Your titles, they mean nothing here. Get out. What? Okay. Let's put all that together. What does this mean? Why have we spent this morning talking about the devil? What's been the point? Let's put everything together. Let's cobble it together. See if we can create a full picture. What is the big picture we're getting of the devil from this passage? Well, the devil is a slanderer. Is one who twists things. Even the things that we hold dear, even the things that we find comfort in, the devil can take those and try to use them against us. The devil tries to tempt us, tries to test us, using those things that we can hold dear. And honestly, the devil is really good at this. The devil is a master at testing, at tempting. And I think there's a reason that the devil comes to Jesus in this particular moment, when he's at his lowest. You know, the devil comes to Jesus in the gospel story twice. Here and at the Garden of Gethsemane. Those are two low points. I think we can, we've seen this in our lives too, right? It's often when we feel we're at our most vulnerable that the devil comes sauntering in to make things worse. This is because the devil is our adversary. And not only that, the devil is the adversary. The devil is the thing that wants to come between us and God. That's the devil's mission. To separate us from God. Now, all right, let's look at this from a slightly different perspective. We've talked a little bit about how this book, the Gospel of Matthew, is really a book about mission. We've gone so far as to title this entire series, Mission Life. Because I would argue that above any of the other four Gospels, it's Matthew that really highlights the importance and the need for going out, for spreading the good news, for talking about the Gospel. So I don't think that it's happenstance or an accident that the Gospel that is most mission-oriented opens with this story opens with Jesus's mission having to go through this temptation story. Jesus doesn't begin his mission until this story happens, until this time in the wilderness, this exile, this temptation time. This is highlighting that if we are going to be a people who live on mission, who live on mission with God, then in all honesty, we're going to be putting a target on our back. Think about this. If Jesus had decided, you know what? Nope, I am not going to be the Messiah. I'm going to stay Joe Nobody Carpenter. Do you think the devil would have spent this much time and effort testing him? I, I would argue no. 
So this book presents really the dangers of a mission-oriented life, really before getting into the importance of mission-oriented life. It's presenting things, I would argue, a little bit out of order, but it's presenting them so you know what's going to happen. This story, in all honesty, kind of acts like the terms of service for entering into a mission life. And we're going to get into all of the amazing benefits and the reason why we should. But this story acts as, all right, this is what it's potentially going to cost. This is what you're going to risk by doing it. All right, so how does knowing all of this help us? Well, not only does the story act as a terms of service, it also really gives us the devil's game plan. It shows us exactly what the devil wants to do, and arguably how he's going to try to achieve it. If we know that the devil is going to try to tempt us through misrepresentation, through trickery, then we really have to do our best to know our material, to know the elements the devil's going to come at us with so well that we can see through those tricks. We need to constantly be in our Bibles, soaking it in so that the adversary can't use it against us. Because as we saw when the devil tempted Jesus, one of the most powerful deceptions that is used has a lot of elements of truth in it. These are the things that can be the most dangerous, the things that are 90% true, but just have a slight twist in them. So here's an example. It's, it's a dumb example, but just, just go with me. I, I, I think it illustrates this point well. So way back when I was a young lad and I was getting my driver's ed, when I was in my driver's ed class, I actually almost failed my written test because of what I would argue, and I'm still slightly bitter at, a really dumb trick question. So the question was, what do you do if you see a school bus coming in the opposite lane that has its stop sign out with yellow flashing lights? Well, I, I said you should stop. That was a wrong answer because the school bus stop sign, when it comes out, does not have yellow flashing lights. It has red flashing lights. I'm just going to take a slow sip so you can see my indignation. Really? So you can see what I'm getting at here. This question was testing something that was super basic. Something I 100% knew. When the school bus stop sign comes out, you stop. But it twisted it just enough that I missed it. Is this a dirty tactic? Oh, 100% yes. This is totes dirty. But as we talked about, the devil's really clever and really, really good at achieving his goals. And so is 100% about using dirty tactics to achieve those goals. So I would encourage you, I would challenge you that over the next couple weeks, try to engage with your Bibles a little bit more. If you are someone who is currently reading your Bible regularly, you have this great plan set up, maybe pick up a commentary. Maybe find some articles or some study material that you can dive even deeper into the text that you're reading. Take your Bible reading to the next level. 
If you're someone who is not currently reading your Bible on a regular basis, give it a try. But you don't have to come up with this ridiculously complex plan. Start small. Read two, three chapters a week. That's going to take you, what, 15, 20 minutes at most, right? Total for the week. That's not a big commitment. But it's a commitment that will pay massive dividends for you. Because it will make it that much harder for the devil, the slanderer, the tempter, the Satan, the adversary, Hasatan, to trick you. That's worth it in and of itself, because the more you know, the less likely you are to be tricked. But not only that, it'll bring you closer to God. The more we understand God's word, the more we can really understand the face of God. As much as it is possible for us to understand God, the more we see God's doings, God's relationships with the children of Israel, with the characters in the gospel, with all of that, the more we see God moving, the more we can develop this relationship, the more we understand. And I think that's a pretty good double-ended reward for simply doing a little bit of reading, for simply reading a book. I think those rewards far outweigh the time that it takes to, to do the reading, to do the research. And I think it'll start to be fun. If you give it a chance, there are some amazing stories and there's so much to learn. I think you will really, really enjoy it. Pretty soon you'll just be diving in, having a great time with it. So that's my challenge to you. Continue to dive into your Bibles. Continue to live within those words. Breathe in that text. Join me as we pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity we have. I thank you for the ability we've been given to gather, the ability we have to come together, even virtually, Lord, and to praise you, to dwell on you, to just sit in your presence, Lord. And Lord, I just ask that as we move forward, you would stand with us when the adversary comes against us, when the devil tries to get into our heads, Lord tries to trick us. I just ask that you would give us the courage, the strength, and the fortitude to see through those deceptions, Lord. I just ask that you would stand with us, give us courage, give us the strength to continue to dive into your word, to continue to read about you and your love and your character, Lord. I would ask all of this in your precious name. Amen.